open your bulletin with me and turn to your reading sheet. So on the inside, it looks like this. At the top of the sheet, you'll see a portion of our reverse. I hope this week you have taken the time to read uh, Genesis 22. We're going to read verses 5 through 8 together. So let's stand and let's read. This then is the text for today. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood where the lamb is for the burnt offering. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. May God bless the reading of his word. Abraham was a man of few words. Or at least he was in this text for today. In today's text, he was a man of few words. As we read through Genesis 22 this week, we notice that we hear from Abraham five times. All succinct, all faithful. In the whole chapter, in fact, Abraham epitomizes the call of Proverbs and the warning of the book of James to talk less. In Genesis 22, 1, Abraham gives us three simple words, here I am, reminiscent of Samuel that we studied a few weeks ago. Abraham is faithful and strong. It's just seven letters what he speaks there, here I am. And and in those three words, Abraham perfectly encapsulates what faith looks like. Practically, we don't need the rest of the story. If if you're doing your lesson today or if you've been reading along with us this week, everything that you need to know is found in Genesis 22, verse 1. The the rest of the story are the details of how it played out. But verse 1 tells you everything that you need to know. God tested Abraham. That's, That's how it begins This word here, it's a a positive testing. It's a refining fire that builds Abraham up into something better than himself. It builds Abraham up into something greater than he could ever be on his own. It's that kind of testing. God tested Abraham. And as the story goes, Abraham had but few words. He didn't sulk. He didn't hesitate. Abraham, in this story, gives God complete control of every aspect of his life, every need, every want, everything that had ever been a part of his life, he lays before God. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to do this morning. Obedience is simple. We're just not quite as obedient as our father, Abraham. You see, as you continue through the text, you see how few his words were. In verse 5, Abraham, again, of few words, he, he says 
to the guys, stay here with the donkey. They have some guys with them. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I are going to go up together. We will worship and return to you. Now, I want you to notice in those statements, this is a deep statement of faith when he says we will worship because that, that next word, the next verb, return, is also plural. We will worship and we will return to you. That's what he says in verse 5, those few words. Continue on, you, you see this back and forth. We read it together. There's a back and forth between Abraham and his beloved son, Isaac, in verse 7 and 8. Abraham tells him, God's going to provide. He'll provide what we need. He'll provide the lamb, my son. That foundation, Abraham is speaking there, that foundation is built on solid rock. Verse 11, we have Abraham speaking again, and it's to God, and, and he says, here I am. Those three words again, those three faithful words, here I am. 14, he, he reiterates again, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God provides everything we could ever need in this life. Abraham has so few words here, it's almost incomprehensible. Why is there no emotion? Why is Abraham not speaking up and speaking out? Why doesn't Abraham fly off the handle when God asks him to do this? Why, as we're reading this text, do we not get the inner turmoil of a man who struggles? A man who's struggling to sacrifice his own son in this moment of faithfulness to his God. There are hard questions here that are left unanswered from this text. Now, as I was studying this week, I read numerous articles out of scholarly journal journals and numerous commentaries. And there were many that didn't deal with this text at all. In fact, I kind of had to separate them out. There were, there were six or eight articles and commentaries that didn't even talk about the text. And they kind of went this way. As they were reading, they, they wanted to know what was going on in Abraham's mind and in his life. And so the whole time, the, every page, every word was spent in speculation about how Abraham must have felt, about what he must have been going through those days. What, what must have Abraham been thinking? Why, why is there no emotion in this text? How did Isaac feel? Where, where are these questions answered? I even read a couple of Jewish articles um, where they're, they're commenting on this text. And one of those guys even said, I don't, I don't care what the text says. That's not even what I'm going to deal with. I care about what it could say between the lines. He just wanted to guess, and this is where he went. I wanted, he wants to guess how mad Abraham must have been. Or he wanted to guess at what point did Abraham get scared in this story. Or how confused was he that God would ask such a thing as this. It all sounded like sketchy Bible study, but we all do it. And this passage in particular is one where we love to do it. We love to speculate about what's going on, what's going through his mind. But our guess, remember, our guesses are not the text. Those speculations are not what have, has been laid out before us. This text even gives us everything that we need. And if Abraham's deepest thoughts and inner turmoil are not in there, then we don't need it. Maybe all we need are those few words that Abraham did speak. Maybe all we need is verse 1. Maybe that tells us all that we need to know about this story. Abraham was obedient without question to his God. 
Without complaint, without question, he went and he did what God asked him to do. And that's, that's a feat we may find lacking in our midst. And maybe, maybe that's why we really want to know. We really want to know what was going through his mind and through his head. We want to hear some inner turmoil coming from Abraham because we cannot imagine obedience in so few words. How did he do it? Now, question two. Question two is, is a silly one. Where did the ram come from? This morning, we have five questions. We're going to work down through these together. The first question you just heard, why wasn't Abraham emotional here? And the second is painfully obvious. Where did this ram come from when Abraham sacrificed this animal? Now, first, astonishingly, Abraham tells us in verse 8, God will provide. Before there's even a hint of a ram coming in the picture, Abraham says, my God is going to provide. Then we get down to verse 14. Abraham says it again after the ordeal, the Lord will provide. And so we, our inclination is to glance over these few words and nod in agreement. That's true, God will provide. But just because, our, just because we nod in agreement does not mean we know the weight of those words. See, the weight of those few words tell us that, that we're not the providers. We're not the providers for ourselves, and we certainly are not the providers for our families. You know, it's a great place of pride for a parent. In fact, it's, it's usually at best when a parent can sleep well at night because they know that their family has been provided for. And so we take great pride in saying, I, I've taken care of my family. Now, the grave difficulty here, though, is that we haven't provided for our families, nor do we provide for our families. All that we have, everything that we acquired, and everything that we have been given comes straight from our God. See, this is a place of freedom for us. You do not provide for your family. The better alternative is to be faithfully obedient to your God. And when you're faithfully obedient to your God, God will provide. Every need that you could possibly imagine, every need that you don't see coming, everything that your family could possibly need, God already has in store for you. See, Jesus lays all this out beautifully in Matthew chapter 6. We read it together this week in our prayer times. Jesus tells those that are in front of him, you don't have to worry about food or clothing or water. You don't have to even worry about anything else in your life that you have been taught is a need. See, Jesus throws all of that out the window, and he blatantly states, the only thing that you need in this life is to seek first the kingdom of God. And when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else is taken care of. You don't have to worry about one other thing in your life. So you seek God first, even above your family. You seek God first even above your children, your job, your recreation, your summer, your rest, your lunch. You seek first the kingdom of God, and then you see what happens. God comes first before everything else in our lives. See, these kinds of things, even our children themselves, are not nearly as important as faithful obedience to God. And Abraham does it perfectly today. 
Now, we need to ask, too, in that same vein, when did Abraham become Superman? Because in these few words in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham has this iron will. It's this iron will that's revealed in these staccato phrases and his unflappable obedience. But if you go back to the story, Abraham has had his own struggles through the way. He, he's had moments of doubt, and he's had moments of struggle. You, you go back, even you go back to like Genesis chapter 12, where, where he and his wife are traveling, and he asks Sarah to, to lie to Pharaoh, and they have to do these tricks, and he's worried, and he's fearful, and so they move on in their story. But, but even further, even worse than that, when you get to Genesis 16 and 17, Abraham literally laughs in the face of God. See, in, in Genesis 17, 17, we get that dialogue. We get the dialogue that we want here in this text. And Abraham is going back and forth. He's been told he's going to have a child, but he doesn't believe it. When he's told he's going to have a child with his wife, Sarah, he laughs at God and, and says it cannot happen. And we know as the, the story plays out that he has a, a child with a woman who's not his wife. Because he didn't think God could do what God said he was going to do. You know, it's in those texts like that that we get Abraham. Abraham's a lot more like us. He has this inner turmoil. He's disobedient. He's filled with doubt. But in five chapters, he seemingly becomes Superman. This is what we need to know this morning, though. Abraham is not Superman. This is the work of sanctification. This is a work of the Spirit of God on a man, molding him into exactly what God has called him to be. This is what God does. When we trust our God and we follow his plan, he molds us into men and women who live out the fruit of the Spirit. Men and women who run straight to obedience without ever questioning their God. That's what God does as he works on us. And this is what I mean by this. Abraham's actions here, and even Abraham's few words here, are not beyond us. These, these are not impossible. These are the result of letting the Spirit of God work on your heart, where he molds it into something good. He takes your broken heart, and he heals it, and he makes you his. This is good work in us, where we can be obedient we can have these few words, even as little as here I am. Let God in. Let, let God work. Work on your heart. Now, in, inevitably, as we study this passage together, someone always asks, what about Isaac? What about him? What about all of the things that Isaac is having to deal with in this text? And, and, and we get those kinds of questions, but, but this text is, is beyond that. It's beyond Isaac. Isaac here is, is secondary in all kinds of ways. Now, first of all, he's secondary because, you know, it's horrific to us to imagine this. I think this is where we get caught up in the story, where we imagine having to do this very thing ourselves to offer over our children to God, and Abraham is placing him on the altar. But this sacrifice is about much more than losing a son. If you remember, you go back and read Genesis 17, 19. Go back and read Genesis 21, 12. Abraham's not, not just losing a son here. He's losing every promise that God ever made to him. 
He's losing his relationship and this, this call of God on his life. Isaac was the promise. Isaac was the miracle baby out of which the entire uh, Jewish nation would bless the world. The, the, the nation would rise up and be something great in this world because of Isaac and because of what Isaac was going to do. And it's even, it's out of Isaac, we come from Abraham, we go to Isaac, and out of him we get the very lineage of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Now there are many remarkable parallels to Jesus here, but think, think with me, uh, beyond the sacrifice to the promise, God had given Abraham this word. He was going to bless the nations through his son Isaac. And if Abraham was going to offer Isaac up on this altar, how in the world could that ever happen? To all of us, and to most of us in this room, we would immediately think that is impossible. It can't happen. In fact, I want you to think with me. Get, get, get to the New Testament and where the New Testament begins. Do you remember how the New Testament begins? Matthew 1, 1. The very first book the very first verse. It's something we often skip over. It's, it's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And when you get to the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the New Testament starts like this. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's verse one of the New Testament. You get to verse two and it, it goes on. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Or Isaac was the father of Jacob and so on and so forth. Father Abraham and his beloved son Isaac right there at the heart of the New Testament where it all begins. And Abraham was about to put all of that on the altar because God told him to. And this is why. Because Abraham knew God was faithful. And whatever God called him to do, he was going to do no matter how it looked or what he thought the outcome was going to be. He knew that God could still do it. Even if he had to sacrifice Isaac, God can implement ways that are beyond us. In fact, as you, you study this text, it, it sends you to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews eleven nineteen gives us great insight into this. And, and the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham knew that even if he had to sacrifice his son, God can raise him from the dead. That God is in the business of raising people up from the dead. And if he needed to raise him up from the dead to keep this promise, God would keep his promise and raise him up from the dead. God would do what he had to do. See, we're still going to get Matthew 1.1. God was still going to keep his promises even when it looks like there's no humanly way possible for God to keep his promise. God will do it. Our God keeps his promises. And he's going to provide for you no matter what. And that's exactly why Abraham spoke so few words in our text for today. He got it. He knew it. And he was going to do exactly what God asked him to do. Abraham knew the only way forward in this life is complete obedience to our creator, the God of the universe. We have one, one final question before us this morning. Who will say yes? See, Abraham was, was perfect with his few words. In, in just his few words, he took his orders from God, and he only spoke what needed to be spoken. 
And as God is calling out to you this morning, be bold and say yes. Just, just go with it. Because God, God is calling out our names, calling us to be faithful to him, calling us to obedience. And this morning, say yes. Go with it. Don't question God. Don't second guess God. Don't run around, think through all the other options. Don't let all the other things run through your mind as you rehearse it over and over again. Let that all slip away and be obedient. Do what God has called you to do today. God has been working on you for ages now, and it's time to say yes. Like Abraham says twice in this passage, we will say, here I am. Now, let me, let me warn you here, though. There's this text in Matthew chapter 21. It, it's a parable that Jesus tells about two sons. And he's, he's telling this parable. There's, there's this first son, and his father asks him to go work in the vineyard. He says, we've got a lot of work to do. Son, will you go? And the, the first son says, no. I'm not going to do it, and he leaves. But then he begins to feel bad for, for telling his father no. And he comes back, and he does the work that needs to get done. There's the second son. The father goes to, says, there's work that needs to be done in the vineyard, but will you do it? And the, and the, the son says, yes, absolutely, I'm going to go, and I'm going to do it right now. But he never does it. He, he never actually gets it done. He, he says he's going to. He makes this commitment to his father that he's going to do it, but it never actually gets done. Now, in that scene, Jesus is, is working on the repentance of the chief priests and the elders in the temple. He's trying to get them to come to this moment of repentance where they, they finally accept what God has been telling them over and over again. And it's a reminder to us that obedience itself is more important than saying all the right things. You have to do them, too. You've got to take that step of faith. You, you've got to load up the donkeys and you get the fire and, and, and get the wood and get it loaded and set out for the mount that God has called you to go to. Maybe Abraham says so few words in this text because he's doing what needs to be done. And that's what's important. He's not going to talk about doing it, but he's going to get out and he's actually going to do what his father has asked him to do. He's going to make that commitment to God. And that's where we are this morning. It is time for us to say yes to God and finally behave like it. You know, it's just like Jesus told all those religious people in the parable in the temple. It's time to repent. It's time to take an active step to do what God has told you to do all along. Don't just say you're going to do it. Actually do it. It's time to make that commitment. It seems so often in the church, the religious people, you get us together, we will say yes. We will look at our God uh, and we will be sincere and say, I will do it. But when it comes around to it, we're only obedient when it fits into our parameters. Now let's be clear on this. If your yes to God has conditions, you are in trouble. If your yes to God has conditions, you are in fact being disobedient. But that's what we do. That's, that's what we say. We tell our God, I, I will be obedient to you when it fits into my routine. Or I will be obedient to you when it will not make me feel uncomfortable. Or I will be obedient to you when it makes my life easier. Or I will be obedient to you when it makes me look good. Now we never say these things out loud. Those don't come out of our mouth, but it's how we behave. 
And that, that kind of behavior could not be further from the Abraham of Genesis chapter 22, and it certainly could not be further from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our Messiah. See, if, if we're going to say yes, and if we're going to be obedient to God this morning, that means we're going to have to be obedient without parameters, without conditions, where we just come before God and say, yes, I will follow you wherever you go and do whatever you ask of me. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to make a commitment to be obedient to God as his son Jesus Christ was. And we're going to be obedient to God as our father Abraham was all those years ago. That we're going to be obedient even when it doesn't fit into our routine. Because there, there are going to be times this week where God calls you to a specific kind of obedience and it's not going to fit in your schedule. You may have to rearrange some things. And we will. We will be obedient. Well, there may be times this week when, when God's going to call you specifically to be his servant, and it's going to make you uncomfortable to step out in a way that you have never stepped out before. And we're going to do it. We're going to be obedient. There, there may be times this week where God calls you to be obedient, and you're not going to have time to assess and rehearse and go over it over and over and over again, where you're just going to have to go, and you're going to have to do, and you're going to have to be obedient, and we will. There's going to be times this week where, where God calls you to be obedient, and it's going to make your life harder. You know, often we talk about in the church, when you follow Jesus, life's, life's going to be good. But there are moments along the way when our faithfulness means life is much harder than it would have been otherwise. And we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you anyway. There are going to be times when, when obedience makes you look bad. There are going to be times when, when obedience means you, you don't open your mouth, where you, you don't even get the chance to defend yourself with a few words. And we say, yes, Father, I will obey anyway. That, that even if we never get the privilege of a few words, our behavior will speak volumes. That's who we are. And we're going to commit to follow our God in that very same way. Let's pray together. Father, we are before you this morning. We want to be faithful. We want to say yes. Lord, we ask you to stir something within us. Make our hearts new. Make them just like your son, Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're striving to be in this place. Faithful servants who are obedient to death even death on a cross. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.